Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new monthly edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes today. American Funds Distributors, Inc. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor Q&B. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. This is Bloomberg Daybreak here for this Tuesday, the 23rd of May in London. Coming up today... How high is too high? Jamie Dimon warns rates could hit 7% as Fed hawks say more hikes are needed. Optimism without end. Biden and McCarthy say a default is off the table but fail to agree a deal. Trading down, JP Morgan expects investment banking and market revenue to drop by 15%. The £1.7 trillion UK market politicians want to talk about and jet set no those are the stories we're looking at in today's papers i'm james wilcock plus the hunter becomes the hunted carl Icahn speaks to bloomberg after hindenburg research report leaves him 15 billion dollars poorer that's all straight ahead on bloomberg daybreak europe the business news you need to start your day in just one 15-minute podcast on Apple, Spotify, the Bloomberg Business app, and everywhere you get your podcasts. Good morning, I'm Stephen Carroll. And I'm Caroline Hepke. Here are the stories that we're following today. JP Morgan's CEO, Jamie Dimon, says investors should prepare themselves for two full percentage points of additional hikes. He told the bank's investor day in New York that people need to brace for much higher rates. I think everyone should be prepared for rates going higher from here. You know, that if that five percent is not enough in Fed funds, if I and I've been advising this to clients and banks, you should be prepared for six, seven. Jamie Dimon's view contrasts with market expectations. The Fed will pause at its current level of five to five and a quarter percent. The CEO of America's biggest bank also warned investors there's still too much liquidity in the system and that there will be a credit cycle. Well, Diamond's comments come as two of the Fed's most hawkish members called for higher rates. The St. Louis Fed President James Bullard says that he is backing more hikes this year to quell inflation. I'm thinking, you know, two more moves this year. Now, exactly where those would be this year, I don't know, but I've often advocated sooner rather than later. You want to get the downward pressure on inflation while you can. And also, you know, you want to fight inflation while the labor market's really strong. Bullard's call for more tightening is echoed by fellow policymaker Neil Kashkari. The Minneapolis Fed president says that if the central bank does pause, it should not be taken as a sign that tightening is over. Just days ago, the chair, Jerome Powell, signalled a pause at the Fed's next meeting in June. Staying in the US, House Speaker Kevin McCarthy and President Joe Biden say talks have been productive, but they haven't yet reached a deal to avert a default. The two met at the White House for more than an hour on Monday. McCarthy says he's hopeful of an agreement. I felt we had a productive uh, discussion. We don't have an agreement yet, but I, I did feel the discussion was productive in areas that we have differences of opinion. Uh, we're going to have the staffs continue to get back together and uh, work on base some of the things that we had talked about. 
McCarthy's upbeat tone comes as Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen warned it's now highly likely her department will run out of cash early next month, with a default coming as soon as the 1st of June. JP Morgan says that it expects second quarter revenue from investment banking and trading to drop by 15% year on year. But it's not all bad news for the Wall Street giant. CFO Jeremy Barnum says that the bank will gain an even bigger benefit from rising interest rates because of its purchase of First Republic. Turning to the impact of the First Republic transaction, we are expecting a full year NII contribution of approximately $3 billion. And as a result, we are updating the 2023 NII X Markets outlook to approximately $84 billion. JP Morgan CFO Jeremy Barnum there flagging that they've now raised their guidance for net interest income for this year. The bank bought First Republic earlier this month after it became the second largest bank failure in US history and the fourth regional bank collapsed this year. Britain's double-digit inflation rate is expected to fall at the sharpest pace in more than 30 years when April figures are reported on Wednesday. A Bloomberg survey of economists forecasts that CPI will come in at 8.2%, down from 10.1% in March. The drop is expected to be driven by last year's surge in energy prices falling out of the annual calculation. However, markets are still leaning toward more BOE hikes and expect rates to hit 5% by September, up from 4.5% currently. The European Central Bank will reach terminal rates before September. That is the view of Governing Council member François Villeroy de Gallo. Here's what he told the National Association of Business Economics Symposium in Paris. I expect, seen from today, that we will be at the terminal rate not later than by summer. As you know, summer in Europe is a long and beautiful season, which starts in June and ends in September. In the meantime, we have three possible governing councils, either for hiking or pausing. <laughs> Somewhere in France, sounding delightful. Uh, the Bank of France chief's comments follow those of ECB President Christine Lagarde. On Sunday, she warned the fight to tame inflation isn't over and more action is still needed. Legendary corporate writer Carl Icahn says he didn't see the Hindenburg report coming. In a 90-minute interview with Bloomberg, the billionaire declined to address the short seller's research directly, but told us he's received an outpouring of support from shareholders since Hindenburg's salvo. But he did admit to making one costly blunder. He lost $9 billion in recent years by betting incorrectly that the financial markets would crash. Shares in Icahn Enterprises are down 43% since the 1st of May. Okay, those are our top stories for you. Um, What's caught my eye today? Well, actually, it's European CEOs apparently increasingly concerned about Europe's competitiveness. This is a really well-regarded survey. It's from the European Roundtable of Industrialists and also the Conference Board. So apparently 57% of these senior leaders, European CEOs, are planning to increase their presence in North America. So in terms of investments or operations or both, and that's in the next two years. They're kind of reasonably optimistic about the picture in Europe at the moment and yet they are worried about you know, Europe losing competitiveness over the long term. Yeah, I do wonder how much of this is a push or a pull. Is it a fact that that things like the Inflation Reduction Act are attracting some of this investment to the United States and perhaps it's it's that that's driving uh, Mm. rather than people fleeing Europe. It's more the fact that they've been attracted by the 
the many dollars that are being offered <laughs> by the United States yes. uh, in certain key industries. Yeah, meanwhile, uh, PwC has a nice uh, survey out today. The best place to live and work in the UK? Well, it's not it's London. It's not London. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yes, oh dear. It is, though, Oxford, Swindon, Exeter, Bristol and Southampton. I think Bristol gets a big cheer uh, from me. Of course, it's the home of my old alma mater. Um, I think we have an ex- we have an Exeter, I think, uh, graduate in the studio oh, as well. There so you I think go. some uh, optimism from there as well. Swindon, an unexpected addition to that list, I have to yes, say. Yes, that is unusual. But I think it also, this survey highlights again that it's cities in the south or in, uh, of England that get much better ratings, basically, than cities in the north. It's kind of the levelling up issue. and yeah. yeah, and look, it's it's also the issue of things, people looking at quality of life, the time it takes them to get to work, the, how how well they can live, the quality of high street shops, an interesting metric I wasn't expecting to be including there. So obviously people, you know, making sure they want to have their local business choices as well. And things like startups uh, going into that PwC survey as well. Now, let's get the latest then on the debt ceiling talk, shall we, in Washington, as the date for the US Treasury to run out of money looms ever closer. Bloomberg's John Harney is in Washington for us uh, this morning. John, thank you so much for staying up late. What progress was made at the meeting between Joe Biden and Kevin McCarthy? Well, certainly the tone was much more uh, upbeat, uh, if not optimistic, uh, both uh, Speaker McCarthy and President Biden uh, indicated that progress had been made, uh, that the uh, that the talks were productive. However, uh, no deal has been forged as of yet, and the uh, deadline um, for default is coming is coming ever closer. And uh, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen uh, said on Monday that. Uh, we, you know, the United States government will run out of money by perhaps by as early as June 1st. John, we we had this optimistic and hopeful tone uh, from the House Speaker and the President after they met yesterday. But where do we know are the stumbling blocks now in these negotiations? Well, they didn't they didn't get into specifics in their relative, you know, in, their, in, uh, in Biden's case, a statement and uh, McCarthy's case, uh, a press conference outside the White House. Um, you know, it's, it's you know the Republicans want to substantially cut spending. The Democrats obviously do not want to do that. Uh, there's also a Republican demand that uh, defense spending be increased at the expense of other programs, which of course are very uh, very important to Democratic many Democratic constituencies. So we'll see in the days ahead just how um, far apart uh, the two sides are on these issues. And uh, and uh, if a deal can be put together this week before the uh, American uh, Memorial Day holiday. Yeah, I mean, the timetable in the next few days is really difficult, isn't it? I mean, we're less than a fortnight away from 1st of June. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yes, um, and and also uh, Speaker um, Speaker McCarthy, you know, to you know he he, he always you know every every House Speaker says that they're going to do things more, be more, um, uh, be nicer to their their uh, their people, their, their representatives, and so he promised a seventy two hour time uh, period in which they could you know they could look at bills and certain legislation wouldn't like an avalanche of 
pages wouldn't be uh, of, of legislation wouldn't be forced on them, to, and then they'd have to vote right away. Well, seventy-two hours. That puts that's you know if you give uh, the House three days to uh, to look at whatever this is before they vote, that gets us right up to the edge. Okay. John, thank you so much for bringing us up to the date on that story, which we are monitoring very closely. That's Bloomberg's John Harney reporting for us uh, from Washington. Up next, savings game and jet set no. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new monthly edition of the Capital Ideas podcast. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes today. American Funds Distributors, Inc., From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. Now, the paper review on Bloomberg Daybreak Europe. The news you need to know from today's papers. Bloomberg's James Wilcock joins us now for a look through the morning's newspapers. James, uh, you're always on the hunt for an interesting financial story. So there's quite a bit going on around pensions. There is, Caroline. It is everywhere right now. You are seeing proposals from Jeremy Hunt. You're seeing proposals from Shadow Chancellor Rachel Reeves. Uh, Even Legal and General's Nigel Wilson is talking about pensions. And it all follows from the LDI meltdown after the mini-budget last year. And so I wanted to take a bit of a step back and explain quite what was going on here. Um, So the long story short is pension funds are increasingly investing a lot less in UK equities. And if you look at, say, defined benefits, I think we'll come back to it later, pension funds, that has gone down from, say, 50% in UK equities in the 1990s to 2% just last year. And that means that there is less capital. And when we talk about things like arm not listing in London, backing British business as startups, that sort of missing capital is being pointed to as a key reason. This is why it's become such a big hot topic. So how this actually happened then is here we have to talk a bit about defined contribution, which is now mm-hmm. most modern pension schemes, which the amount you get out at the end is defined by how much you contribute during your payment on the scheme versus defined benefit, which back in the 1990s and a lot of public sector pensions is, is defined by how long you've worked for the companies, how much you're getting out sort of midway through there. Now, those defined benefit schemes are the ones that basically you can't get on anymore. The ones that were yeah, most, they're they're the that, stuff. That most of us are on defined contribution schemes. Exactly. And then so, but the reason why you can't get them on anymore is so fascinating. So it all comes back to Robert Maxwell. Um, 1991, Maxwell had died, um, passed away, he fell over a yacht. And it turned out he'd been using the Mirror's pension funds to back up his own investments. And that brought in a lot more regulation about how these assets were tracked. Gordon Brown followed that up in 2000 with a standard called FRS 17, which made companies track their pensions Mm. in terms of liabilities. And these companies then saw these massive equities on their balance sheets and moved away to liability-driven investments, which came back in the mini-budget to haunt them. They moved 
out of equities and into stuff like bonds. And so what are we going to do about that now? So here's where we get into sort of what the papers are saying today. So the FT have got an interview with Rachel Reese, the Shadow Chancellor. She wants to create a mandatory £50 billion business bank that pension funds would put the money into. She also wants to consolidate uh, a lot of the smaller pension funds. There are 28,000 of them. She must have been listening to your interview with the City of London Mayor, Caroline. Uh-huh. Exactly. It was his Nicholas idea and she's Lawrence. nicked it. Yes, that's, he talked about exactly the same figure, £50 billion. And then in City AM, it's fascinating how much the political agreement is here. The City uh, Minister, Andrew Griffith, he wants to make equity sexy again. So he's all about freeing up individual stakeholders to put their money into the pension side of things as well. And the Telegraph, I interview with the head of um, legal and general, Nigel Wilson, he's talking about the similar thing. He wants to deregulate the city to free up the money here. Um, so that's what the major players are saying. But there's an argument against this as well. Um, I was fascinated to read some research from Schroeder's head of strategic research, Duncan Lamont. And he says, actually, uh, in reality the UK stock market was heavily overweighted and pension funds were right to diversify away from it. Yeah. And in some ways, they're just the whipping boys for political people who are looking for a piggy bank to try and fund their own ambitions. The other big problem here is he notes that if we, now we've changed to contributions rather than benefits, it is the worker who bears the risk. Uh, and that is exactly the point that I was going to make. I think the other major issue that has been lost, you know, for, for many is that the 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 risk and the responsibility is now on the individual rather than on the company to sort out pensions. Uh, And yes, also there's a massive difference between whether that money is going towards listed assets or whether it's going towards startups or unlisted businesses. And that, again, is is a whole conversation about where that pension money actually goes. So one I'm being had in many newspapers this morning. James, another story that you've caught that's caught your eye, The Times, a piece on how hindsight is 2020 for Specsavers. I mean, I couldn't let this one go, Stephen. Um, last year, roughly 90,000 private jets departed from the UK, according to Greenpeace. And a quiet piece of government research done by the consultancy Fraser Nash found that if you would half the number of private jets, you would immediately meet all the net zero plane targets for the UK. Uh, and it also, The Times also found out that Specsavers of many companies using private jets, but Spectre in particular took an average of 22 private jets flights a week. A week, Caroline. Wow. And if, and if, yeah, private jet use is is a huge issue, but I'm amazed that it could make such a difference to the... It's all about the fuel use. I'm yes, a- of course. Yeah, not, not what they're doing on the ground. Thank you so much, James Wilcock, for a look through the newspapers. This is Bloomberg Daybreak Europe, your morning brief on the stories making news from London to Wall Street and beyond. Look for us on your podcast feed every morning on Apple, Spotify and anywhere else you get your podcasts. You can also listen live each morning on London DAB Radio, the Bloomberg Business app and Bloomberg.com. Our flagship New York station is also available on your Amazon Alexa devices. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. I'm Caroline Hepke. And I'm Stephen Carroll. Join us again tomorrow morning for all the news you need to start your day, right here on Bloomberg Daybreak Europe. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. 
More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.